0: Before we really dive into our uh, the, the main verses that we are going to be considering this morning, uh, first, we need to take just a few moments to clear up a very common misconception that exists. And, and it's certainly one that exists in our culture, and yet it's also one that has a way of, of pervading even the hearts and the thinking of Christians like you and me. And it's a misconception that arises from reading a verse of the Bible out of context, a very famous verse. It's become a very famous verse nowadays. And it's the one that we find in Matthew 7, verse 1, where Jesus says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. And what has happened in recent years is that people have almost turned this into like their favorite Bible verse, that anytime somebody might say something about sin or about uh, bringing to the surface uh, something that that God says that a person shouldn't have anything to do with, people are very quick to lift this verse out of its context and use it as the, the Bible verse that trumps all other Bible verses and all of God's other
1: counsel on the matter, and say, well whoa, 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 you shouldn't judge. And so here's what we need to clear up. God absolutely does tell Christians to judge and to make judgments.
0: And not just about situations or doctrine or dogma. God does tell us to judge words and actions. Not to be judgmental or nitpicking, walking around scrutinizing everybody to try to find every flaw and failure that we possibly can, not to judge on the basis of our own standards, our own opinions, our own preferences, but God does
1: tell us to call right what he calls right and to call sin what he calls sin.
0: In fact, if you were just to expand in this section of Matthew 7 and go on, we would see Jesus saying this exact thing. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, right? So here Jesus is saying, judge, yes, judge yourself first. Bring your own sins, your own struggles, your own failures up to the surface. Admit these things in sorrow before your God. Otherwise, you're just a self-righteous Pharisee. But then once we have done this humbly and honestly, Jesus does say, then you will see clearly to do likewise for your brother or sister in Christ. And so here's our first key point today. God does tell us to judge, first ourselves, then others, according
1: to his standards. And if we don't understand this, then what we are about to read makes absolutely no sense.
0: And God's vision for his church as one which values accountability really has no footing upon which to stand. Today we're going to be reading from an Old Testament book of prophecy called Ezekiel, in which God calls on someone named Ezekiel to be his prophet in exile. You see, the Israelites were suffering consequences as a result of their sin and their disobedience. They had for many years turned their backs on the Lord and so God moved the Babylonian Empire to come sweeping into their nation. They overran the Israelites. They invaded the capital city, Jerusalem. They tore everything, even the temple of the Lord, to the ground there. Many of the men, women, and children were dragged away then into exile to go live in a foreign land away from their home. And yet even all this did not grab the immediate attention of those Israelites in exile. And so God sent Ezekiel
1: to bring them a warning. In fact, God calls Ezekiel his watchman for Israel. And what does a
0: watchman do? A watchman warns the people of an encroaching enemy, of a danger that is threatening them. But Ezekiel was not there to warn them about the Babylonians. No, Ezekiel was there to warn them of a far greater enemy. The enemy of sin. So let's read our verses now from Ezekiel 33. As God says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, You wicked person, You will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying, Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? And there's really some pretty serious stuff in these verses. Not just serious for the people of Israel, also very serious for Ezekiel, whom God has called to be his watchman, right? What does God say? If you don't take your task seriously and warn these people about the danger at hand, I will hold you accountable for their
1: blood. It's your responsibility then, Ezekiel. Maybe we can use a couple of quick
0: illustrations to to help us understand here. Um, Imagine that you wake up at 3 a.m., and you look out your window and see that your neighbor's garage is engulfed in flames and is soon to spread to the rest of the house. And you say to yourself, you know, nobody really likes it when their neighbor knocks on their door at 3 a.m., so you roll over and go back to sleep only to wake up in the morning to see your neighbor's house in cinders
1: and learn that your neighbor has died. You may not have lit the match, but you're responsible for that death, aren't you? Or how about you're walking along the street and you see a a blind
0: woman who's walking there and, and you see she's about to step into an open manhole. But you say, you know, nobody really likes it when a stranger yells At them what they should do. So you don't say stop, you just keep your mouth shut.
1: She steps in, falls, dies. That's your responsibility. You might not have pushed her in, but you've killed her by not warning her. And so here God is saying to Ezekiel, saying to you and me that when we
0: see somebody who is continuing in a relationship with what God calls sin, if we do not warn them about the danger that is crouching at their door,
1: we are responsible that I am in fact then a murderer. Maybe it would help us here to understand what sin's goal is.
0: No matter the situation, no matter the person, no matter what the specific sin might be, sin's goal is never your freedom. Sin's goal is, is never to make sure that you have a good time. Now, sin's goal is much, much worse than that. In fact, sin's goal is much worse even than what the Israelites were facing as temporal consequences for their sin, being dragged away into exile. James 1 verse 15 tells us what this goal of sin is. Here we read, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and
1: sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin's goal is death. And not just the death of the body. Sin's goal is a spiritual death,
0: an eternal separation in hell, a separation from the
1: light, from the presence, from the blessing of God. You see, if someone is holding on to what God says he hates, What is the message in that? The message is, I love this sin more. I can't live without God has been replaced by I can't live without this. And you and I, as
0: God's people, as as members of his church, we simply cannot love somebody and want that for them to stay silent or, or even to, to give our approval for sin is really only showing love for one person, myself. It's showing love for my own sense of comfort, perhaps, over their eternal pleasure. Love, maybe for my, my temporal relationship with a person wanting to hold on to that
1: over their eternal relationship with the Lord. Love, true biblical love, simply cannot accept that. Simply cannot accept
0: turning that blind eye, turning that deaf ear toward sin, toward evil, toward wickedness, because we know that God certainly does not. A true love means that I hold not only myself, but hold other people accountable to God's will and God's commands, or that God will hold me accountable for their blood. And that's because the one whose heart has been transformed by Christ no longer seeks, above all things, selfish and temporary goals. No, the one who knows Christ now seeks eternal ones. I suppose that we could sum all of this up with our next key point today. Calling out sin has love as its motivation and eternal life as its goal. It's important to remember here, too, where this command, where that that warning ultimately comes from, right? Ezekiel's warning to the people of Israel was not one that arose from his own heart and his own mind. No, it was a warning that came from God, And so also when God tells his church to hold one another accountable, this is not some desire that is drummed up from within ourselves. If so, it really probably can't be anything more than Phariseeism. No, this is a command
1: that comes from the Lord himself. As he tells us to cry out, turn, to repent. To turn away from death to life.
0: To embrace the the sin no longer, but instead to embrace the one who died to save us from sin.
1: Really, it's a, a cry to embrace Jesus. To embrace the Savior. Who was, in fact, the perfect watchman. You know, if you flip through the
0: Gospels and and read about Jesus' life, you are never going to see the occasion where Jesus turns a blind eye or, or hesitates to call somebody out for the sin that he knows has its hooks in them. No, he always does so. And not because of some Pharisaic desire to lord over them how much better he is than them but simply because Jesus loves them and he wants so much better for them than what he knows sin will give and where he knows
1: sin will lead. But do you know what really makes Jesus the ultimate watchman? It's that he doesn't just give a warning and then step back and leave the people to listen or not. No,
0: it's It's that despite all of the times that we have listened to sin's whispers, despite all the times that we ourselves have turned a blind eye and a deaf ear toward our sin or that of others, Jesus doesn't leave us there holding the bag for all of it. He doesn't leave us there standing accountable before God for all the blood on our hands, for all the hearts that we've wrecked. He doesn't leave us there with nothing to look forward to but the hell that we deserve for all of it. No, Jesus, our perfect watchman and our perfect warrior, he takes
1: matters into his own hands. He takes responsibility. That's why Jesus climbed up onto a cross It's why he shed his own blood so that all that blood we have on our hands would be washed away entirely in his forgiveness. Here's our our final key point.
0: Jesus was held accountable for our sin so that we would be counted as forgiven, so that we would no longer be weighed down by our offenses like the Israelites when they cried out to God because we know that Jesus has borne each and every one of those sins upon his shoulders. And once upon a time, God sent you a watchman, maybe a pastor, a parent, a sibling, a friend, who loved you enough to cry out to you, love your sin no longer. Rather, love your Savior, Jesus. And over the years, even after coming to faith, after becoming a Christian, after being baptized, God has continued to send those watchmen into our lives, people who warned us away from sin again and again and again because they did not want to see us follow that road. Because they loved us enough to hold us accountable. Even when
1: that road of accountability was not the easy one for them to walk. Brothers and sisters, today God calls you to be his watchman. To call right what is right. And to call sin what God calls sin. And why? It's so that they along with us would not follow
0: sin where it inevitably leads. But so that they would turn in repentance. Turn away from evil and death. And clinging to the Savior Jesus and his forgiveness would with us live forever. Amen.